The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 3, The Guillotine, Book 7, Vendemier, Chapter 3, Quiberon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by Peter Dan. Book 7, Chapter 3, Quiberon. But indeed, do not these long flowing hair cues of a jeunesse dorée in semi-military costume betoken, unconsciously, another still more important tendency? The Republic, abhorrent of her guillotine, loves her army. And with cause. For surely, if good fighting be a kind of honour, as it is in its season, and be with the vulgar of men even the chief kind of honour, then here is good fighting, in good season, if there ever was. These sons of the Republic, they rose in mad wrath to deliver her from slavery in Samaria. And have they not done it? Through maritime Alps, through gorges of Pyrenees, through low countries, northward along the Rhine Valley, far is Samaria hurled back from the sacred motherland. Fierce as fire, they have carried her trickler over the faces of all her enemies, over scarped heights, over cannon batteries, down as with the vengeur into the dead deep sea. She has eleven hundred thousand fighters on foot, this republic. At one particular moment she had, or supposed she had, seventeen hundred thousand. Like a ring of lightning, they, volleying and sa-erraring, begirdle her from shore to shore. Sumerian coalition of despots recoils, smitten with astonishment and strange pangs. Such a fire is in these Gaelic Republican men, high-blazing, which no coalition can withstand. Not scutcheons with four degrees of nobility, but seed of all sergeants who have had to clutch generalship out of the cannon's throat. A Pichagru, a Jourdain, a Hoche, lead them on. They have bread, they have iron. With bread and iron you can get to China. See Pichagru's soldiers this hard winter in their looped and windowed destitution, in their straw-rope shoes and cloaks of bass mat, how they overrun Holland like a demon host, the ice having bridged all waters, and rush shouting from victory to victory. Ships in the Texel are taken by hussars on horseback, fled is York, fled is the Stadtholder, glad to escape to England and leave Holland to fraternise. Such a Gaelic fire, we say, blazes in this people, like the conflagration of grass and dry jungle, which no mortal can withstand, for the moment. And even so it will blaze and run, scorching all things, and from Cardiz to Archangel, mad sanscalotism, drilled now into soldiership, led on by some armed soldier of democracy, say that monosyllabic artillery officer, will set its foot cruelly on the neck of its enemies, and its shouting and their shrieking shall fill the world. Rash, coalized king, such a fire ye have kindled, yourselves fireless, your fighters animated only by drill sergeants, mess-room moralities, and the drummer's cat. However, it is begun, and will not end, not for a matter of twenty years. So long this Gaelic fire, through its successive changes of colour and character, will blaze over the face of Europe and afflict and scorch all men, till it provoke all men, till it kindle another kind of fire, the Teutonic kind, namely, and be swallowed up, so to speak, in a day. 
for there is a fire comparable to the burning of dry jungle and grass, most sudden, high blazing, and another fire which we liken to the burning of coal, or even of anthracite coal, difficult to kindle, but then which nothing will put out. The ready Gaelic fire we can remark further, and remark not in Pichegru only, but in innumerable Voltaire, Racine, Laplace, no less for a man whether he fight or sing or think, will remain the same unity of a man, is admirable for roasting eggs in every conceivable sense. The Teutonic anthracite, again, as we see in Luther's, Leibniz's, Shakespeare's, is preferable for smelting metals. How happy is our Europe that has both kinds? But, be this as it may, the Republic is clearly triumphing. In the spring of the year, Metz town again sees itself besieged, will again change master. Did not Merlin the Thionville, with wild beard and look, say it was not for the last time they saw him there? The elector of Mentz circulates amongst his brother potentates this pertinent query. Were it not advisable to treat of peace? Yes, answered many an elector from the bottom of his heart. But on the other hand, Austria hesitates, finally refuses, being subsidied by Pitt. As for Pitt... Whoever hesitate, he, suspending his habeas corpus, suspending his cash payments, stands inflexible, spite of foreign reverses, spite of domestic obstacles, of Scotch national conventions and English friends of the people, whom he is obliged to arraign, to hang, or even to see acquitted with jubilee, a lean, inflexible man. The majesty of Spain, as we predicted, makes peace. Also the majesty of Prussia, and there is a treaty of Baal, Treaty with black anarchists and regicides. Alas, what help! You cannot hang this anarchy. It is like to hang you. You must needs treat with it. Likewise, General Hoche has even succeeded in pacificating La Vendée. Rogue Rossignol and his infernal columns have vanished. By firmness and justice, by sagacity and industry, General Hoche has done it taking movable columns, not infernal, girdling in the country, pardoning the submissive, cutting down the resistive, limb after limb of the revolt is brought under. La Roche-Jacqueline, last of our nobles, fell in battle. Stofflet himself makes terms. Georges Cadoudal is back to Brittany among his shewans. The frightful gangrene of La Vendée seems veritably extirpated. It has cost, as they reckon in round numbers, the lives of a hundred thousand fellow mortals, with noyardings, conflagratings by infernal column, which defy arithmetic. This is the La Vendée War. Nay, in few months it does burst up once more, but once only, blown upon by Pitt, by our ci devant puissay of Calvados and others. In the month of July, 1795, English ships will ride in Quiberon roads. There will be debarkation of chivalrous ci-devant, of volunteer prisoners of war eager to desert, of firearms, proclamations, clothes chests, royalists and specie, whereupon also on the Republican side there will be rapid stand-to-arms with ambuscade marchings by Quiberon beach at midnight, storming of Fort Pontievre, War thunder mingling with the roar of the nightly main and such a morning light as has seldom dawned 
debarkation hurled back into its boats or into the devouring billows with wreck and wail. In one word, a seat of Puisse as totally ineffectual here as he was in Calvados when he rode from Vernon Castle without boots. Again, therefore, it has cost the lives of many a brave man, among whom the whole world laments the brave son of Sombroy, ill-fated family. The father and the younger son went to the guillotine. The heroic daughter languishes, reduced to want, hides her woes from history. The elder son perishes here, shot by military tribunal as an emigrant. Hosh himself cannot save him. If all wars, civil and other, are misunderstandings, what a thing must right understanding be? End of Book 7, Chapter 3